Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Having more fun and loving Jesus more than should be humanly possible. You know what? It really is humanly possible, impossible to, 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 to know and to experience the joy of the Lord. You know, folks, sometimes we get caught up on living, trying to live a happy life. And I've said many times, you know, people say, you know, they, they want to change the scripture. It says, be happy for I'm happy. But it says, be holy for I'm holy. And really the key is, you know, when you're walking in holiness, there's a joy that transcends circumstances. And, uh, man, we need to have the joy of the Lord and allow it to be our strength. Because we know in His presence there is fullness of joy. So if you're slipping into this place today, boy, we're just diving right in to the person and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to welcome you. This is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. You can get more information on Raven Ministries International by going to our website, uh, right there on the World Wide Web at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com to check out what's going on with Raven Ministries. We are here typically Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an expository teaching on the Word of God or in the Word of God, I think would be more appropriate. Really just looking at the Word and allowing that Word to just eliminate and to, to give vision and clarity and direction into our life. Folks, I've said for years as I've discipled people that if you don't have Bible, you don't have anything. That really when where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. And I'm reminded when we looked at John and he was handed the little book and he was not allowed to say those things. Well, he just was told to be quiet. Sometimes we just have to be quiet. Sometimes we have to speak when God speaks something. And, and but because then we don't have to always kind of try to build those things up and validate what we say. We just take it to the Scripture and let the Scripture speak and let it be as it is saying. So that's what we're here for. Uh, like I said, Monday through Friday, we'd love you to join us. Uh, we are, like I said, we're in the, the study of the Revelation, which is the unveiling of Jesus. And we're actually starting lesson or class number 53 today. So 53 hours of teaching already, and we're about to dive into the 15th chapter of this incredible, incredible look at the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not been with us in the past, never fear. Deb is working on getting all those classes up. We've got, um, I think, about 42 or 3 hours Already available on our website. Again, biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute. You'll be charged $400 for a free day. No, not really. You're not going to be charged anything. I tease that because I, I get stuff. I get stuff all the time. Deb said you can send that directly to her, care of Raven Deb, uh, P.O. Box. No, I see people doing that all the time. They say, well, God gave me a message, but they want to sell it to you. Folks, we don't have anything for sale. We freely receive. We freely give. You can go over to that website, click Raven Institute, download everything that we have in MP3 format. Use it. Keep it. Put your name on it. Just don't try to sell it on eBay. Have it. Really, that's what it's for. It's to ignite something in you. Also, we're getting the, the classes of Romans. We uh, did, uh, over the course of about a year, we did the, uh, the book of Romans in 197 hours of classroom teaching. And so those are available, too. Do the same thing with them. You can put those on a, a audio DVD and get them in about four uh, DVDs if you want to keep them with something you can put in, pop into your computer. And so those are available as well. We're just here to... Uh, to really to equip you for the work of the ministry, whether your uh, your ministry is at work or in your family or if it's out on the streets or pastoring a church or evangelizing or whatever it may be, teaching in a school, we want to help equip you for the work that God has called you to in His kingdom. So good to have you here today. If you have questions about uh, the Scripture, specifically uh, on our study in the book of Revelation, uh, be sure and send those questions to me at raven at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com. And uh, we'll uh, answer your questions on, online. Also, if you have uh, prayer requests, send those to pray at biggrace.com. Pray at biggrace.com. We would uh, uh, love to stand in prayer for you and just believe God's going to do some tremendous things in your heart and life. We believe that we still serve a God who's in the miracle working business. Also, as just a little bit of a, a commercial I can put here for those that are with us live, some of you guys that are that are listening to this later, this won't maybe be applicable to you this year, but it will be if the Lord tarries another year. But we're going to be taking our team once again into the city of New Orleans uh, during Mardi Gras, their normal carnival season. You guys, if you haven't been there to witness with us, some of you have, some of you have not. Uh, it's the time where a lot of debauchery and a lot of things are happening that are that are not Christian. And you think to yourself, why would you want to go there then? Because that's where Jesus would be. It says we're sin abounded. His grace did much more abounded. So we're going to go and, and drop our, our team of about 200 soul winners, radical uh, 
sold out soul winners for Jesus, urban missionaries on the streets of, of New Orleans during Mardi Gras for that nearly a week of time, and watch Jesus show up and show out. And if you'd like to be a part of that, there's still time. Uh, just email me again, raven at bigrace.com, and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of that outreach. Uh, you come, we'll give you a place to stay, we'll put you up, you can work with our team. Just get to New Orleans and get ready to uh, preach the gospel to the lost and dying. The Word says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And so, it's February 20th through 24th. Uh, again, go to the website, biggrace.com, click on Mardi Gras, and you get all the information on that. There's video clips and everything else associated with that. But we're going to be heading out of here on the uh, 20th through the 24th, right there in the city of New Orleans, and we'd love to have you there with us. I better not hit the table too much. They say every time I do it, it's like a thunder clap. I'm just trying to get some good special effects for our teaching in the book of the Revelation. Anyway, we're going to go to the Lord and pray uh, this morning. If you have prayer requests and you're with us live, you can drop them on the screen. We'll drop. We'll uh, pray for those. We are praying right now, folks, and I want to kind of give you a directed prayer. We're praying for this younger generation. And when I say younger generation, I'm talking about all the way from little children, infants, into kids in their 20s. You know, I say kids in their 20s because I have kids in, my, in his 20s. And so I'm just believing God is going to do something just dramatic in their lives. You know, once again, I've said this so many times. This is a generation looking for relevance. But I believe it's going to be a generation looking for righteousness. You know, and so what happens when you're just looking for relevance, you're always just looking for some confirmation to the world. It's saying, you know what, I hear people say, well, I need to become a goth so I can reach the goths. I need to become a biker so I can reach the bikers. I need to become, folks, we need to become like Christ to reach a darkened and dying world. And, and what's happened is we've, we've, previous generations have sold this generation a bill of goods of a conformity of, to this world, whereas we need to be conformed to the express image of Christ Jesus as lights into the world. But I'm believing that God is going to raise up a standard of righteousness into a, a generation. And when they speak, they're going to speak like the prophets of old. And, and their lives are going to be exemplary uh, of, of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are going to look and say, you know what? That person is walking in holiness and in righteousness. So I'm praying for just a revival to break loose in this, this new generation. They're going to rise up and do great exploits for the kingdom of God. So let's pray today. Keep that in mind. If you have prayer requests, pop them on the screen. We'll lift those up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pray for the healing of people that need uh, a touch from the Lord Jesus as well. Father, we just thank you for today. Father, this is the, 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 the day that you've made, and we've come to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord God, before I, we ask you for anything, Lord God, we just want to tell you how much we love you, how much we appreciate you, Lord God, how wonderful and marvelous, Lord God, is your name. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that, 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 that heaven and earth, Lord God, bow down to the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that inside of each and every one of us, Lord God, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Lord God, by faith in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross, Lord God. Father, there is dunamis power. There is power, Lord God, to be that witness, Lord God. There's power to overcome. There's power to have victory, Lord God, because God loved us so much that He was willing to send His Son, Lord God, to die that vicarious death upon the cross that we might have life and that we might have more, have it more abundantly. Lord God, we're asking today, Lord God, as we glorify You, we, we, we desire no flesh, Lord God, in any capacity to, to glory in Your presence presence. Lord God, but we come and humble ourselves because we know that you give grace to the humble, but you've rejected the proud. Father, we want to humble ourselves and we confess, Lord God, that in and of ourselves we are nothing. But Father, because you have chosen to take up residence in us, Lord God, we have a power, Lord God, beyond the natural man. And so come and fill up this place, Lord God, whether this place is right here in Daytona Beach, whether this place is in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Lord God, or in Port Perry, Canada, or, or uh, uh, Lord God, wherever it may be, Lord God, throughout the nations, Lord God, we just ask that you would come fill up the that place, Lord God, every vessel, Lord God. Father, touch Wanda and touch Donna and touch Kim, Lord God, and touch Megan and touch Josh, Lord God, and touch these others, Lord God, because you've got something, Father, specific for them at this moment to do something in their heart and life, Father, that I believe is going to propel them, Lord God, into that path that you called them to that's going to have such a dramatic impact, Lord God, on eternity. So, Father, as we come in this place, we don't think it's by chance or by happenstance. Lord God, we know that this is an appointed time, appointed place that you have ordained for us for a visitation of your your, your Holy Spirit, Lord God, upon us, Lord God, as a group and personally as well. So, Father, as we come, Lord God, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you begin to do a work. Father, even as these prayer requests are coming over the screen, Father, we pray, Lord God, for, for Ed and Wanda, Lord God, the, what's going to be happening there at their church, Lord God, February 27th. We ask in the name of Jesus that you just begin to bust something wide open right there in, in Canada, Lord God, in that, the whole... Uh, 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 
province, Lord God, of Ontario. Lord God, just cause something sweeping to begin to happen, Lord God. Use them. Father, they're like Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Lord God, here I am. Use me, Lord God. Sweep through that, Lord God. Use Wanda. Use Ed, Lord God. Use Emily. Use Jean, Lord God. Use those that would dare rise up and say, Lord God, use me. Send me, Lord God. I'm available unto you. Father, we pray for those that have been sick in body. We just ask for a touch from the Lord. We ask, Lord God, those that are battling, Lord God, even as this, this cold spell, Lord God, is, is sweeping across the, the United States and, and, and in Canada and various other places, Lord God, across, across the globe, Lord God, and people are becoming ill and sick. Father, I pray, Lord God, that the healing, Lord God, that was paid for at the cross of Calvary be made manifest, Lord God, in your people. The Word says that there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders in the church. And it says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Lord God, i got faith in you, Lord God. I'm praying for, for my brothers and sisters, Lord God, that are sick, not with just cold, flu, Lord God, but with chronic illnesses, Lord God, and, and other diseases. I pray in the name of Jesus for the, the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall upon places today, Lord God. Touch, heal, restore, raise up to help again in Jesus' name. Lord God, glorify your name. Bring forth testimonies of power. And Father, we do pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, for this young generation. Raise them up. Send revival, Lord God. Stir them up, Lord God, on college campuses, Lord God, in elementary schools, middle schools, whatever it may be. Lord God, stir up a generation, Lord God, that will begin to call upon your name, Lord God. Father, young couples, Lord God, raise them up as examples of righteousness, Lord God, to preach, Lord God, unto the nations. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Folks, we looked at the last couple of days... Uh, we were looking at the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter is such a rich chapter. If you're a preacher out there today or a teacher, get in the 14th chapter and just preach it until Jesus comes back. You're going to have so much good stuff just out of the, the 14th chapter of the book of the Revelation. You know, I hear people preach a lot. Obviously, I've heard thousands of messages and preach thousands of messages uh, myself. And it's interesting, you know, there are certain places that people preach out of. There's, there's quote-unquote preaching chapters. You know, you look at the, the Revelation and people preach out of the, out of the third chapter and they'll, they'll preach out of the 21st chapter. There's different places they preach. You know, I don't hear a lot of people preach out of the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. I, I, you know, obviously I've been teaching it and preaching it the last couple of days, but there is such a depth and such a great, tremendous resource for you. You know, it's not often, even in preaching, I, I, I do preach and I teach, obviously, all the time, but uh, it's not often that you get to sit and, and preach vision to people. You know, I, I get invited sometimes to go and, and, and preach at churches, and, and, and most of the time I have to turn them down. Uh, sometimes I don't when it's just very specific around evangelism or something we're doing, but uh, a lot of times I'll turn them down because of the nature of the call that God has placed upon my life. When, when Typically when I, when I preach, I'm going to preach vision, I'm going to preach direction, or I'm going to preach correction. Uh, because of just the apostolic nature of what God's called me to in the ministry in this in this in this season of time, and so you don't have a whole lot of time to do that because you go into quote unquote a church that you know they're 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 not uh, along those same lines they're not walking in agreement in regards to the directive you're going and you begin to preach vision basically what you do is man you're just throwing cold water on a situation and you can cause conflict so I don't often get to preach vision outside of really uh, training the leaders that are a part of this ministry and whatnot. And with them, I do. I teach that a whole lot and, and the principles of vision. But when you get to this 14th chapter, it's, you, you really, what we used to say in the old church, you get the I can't help it. And you just can't help but preach vision. You can't help but preach direction. You can't help but preach correction in, in, in the mind of Christ on that. And you know what? It, it's, it's really that case with all 66 books of this Bible. But every once in a while, you'll get this nugget chapter like chapter 14 that is just so powerful. And I've said this before. If you don't have your own vision... Get a hold of someone else's and help them fulfill theirs. And what you're going to see is God expediting the process of your vision as well. And so I want to give you a quick recap of the seven visions of John uh, in chapter 14. And we're going to use that to kind of bounce into chapter 15 today. This may be the, one of the rare occasions that we actually finish a whole chapter in one day. And uh, Deb is snickering over here, but if you'll notice, it's only eight verses. And so they all really tie together. And it's kind of a, you know, we'll get into that in just a second. And so let me give you those, those seven visions right quick. Give you kind of just a quick recap of them, just so you'll kind of have that as we flow into chapter uh, 15. And number one was the vision of the 144,000 that were standing right there with Jesus, singing that new song that only they could sing. And remember the lesson was, your song will be the product of your perseverance. So that first vision was the 144,000, what were they? 144,000 witnesses. Witnesses of what? You shall be a witness. You shall be the martos. You shall have the ability. Acts 1 and 8. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Folks, if the Holy Spirit's come upon you, man, you ought to be singing a new song every day. There ought to be a new aspect of your testimony coming out every single day. If you're not, uh, you need to go back to the power source, to the martos, to the, to the witness. Second one was the vision of the everlasting gospel and the fear of the Lord. The vision of the everlasting gospel and the fear of the Lord. And what that did is that indicated a, uh, the eternal nature and benefit of the blood of Jesus. And so the lesson in that was uh, that the kingdoms, basically the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our, our God. Uh, and that, uh, excuse me, jumping down to third. It, the lesson of that is the cross is still enough that we must endeavor to live a life pleasing to the will of God. That the cross is still enough and that we must endeavor to live a life pleasing to the will of God. And then the third vision was the, the, the vision of the fallen spiritual and political Babylon. The vision of the fallen spiritual and political Babylon. And there's the lesson that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And anytime, folks, that we try to mix something else up with what God is saying or what God is doing or with, with, with our testimony of Jesus, basically what it's going to produce is idolatry. The fourth vision is the vision of judgment upon those who receive the mark of the beast. The vision of judgment upon those who receive the mark of the beast. Remember, he said, you know, uh, this is wisdom, that it's the number of a man, uh, uh, 666. And uh, really, it's just the, the Holy Trinity. It's that man trying to take deification of man. So uh, the, the judgment, and here's the lesson of it, the judgment of God is coming and will be eternal for all those who reject his grace and mercy. And so really what the mark of the beast is, folks, and really I, I like to look at it in contrast. You talk about that 144,000 that had the, the new song, the testimony. And it says that they had a mark in their foreheads. And we talked about that. But look at the, the, those of this, this fourth judgment, those who received the mark of the beast. They also received that mark in their forehead or on their right hand. Right hand always speaks of that place of authority. And so whether it's a physical thing, we, did, we just talked about it briefly because there's so much speculation. Again, you know, Scripture speaks, we speak. When speak Scripture's silent, we're silent. We can talk about a lot of that stuff. But scripture doesn't say a whole lot about what the actual mark is going to be. It says it's the number of a man. Otherwise, it's man exemplified three times. And so, really, it, uh, it's, it's, it, when you get the spiritual aspect of maybe what it's going to be in the physical nature, it's going to be man's just reliance upon himself, upon himself, upon himself. And so, in, in order to do that, you've got to reject the grace and the mercy of God. And so, that's the, the lesson that we learned from that fourth vision of judgment of those who receive the mark of the beast. The fifth vision is the vision of the white cloud. That, that itself is a powerful vision right there, and we talked about that in length. And so the lesson there is that the presence of God will lead you, fill you, cleanse you, empower you, and return for you. Okay? In the meantime, it's, uh, there's going to be a great harvest of the Lord. So that's a tremendous vision, a tremendous lesson that the cloud of the Lord is going to lead you into all those places. It's going to empower you, cleanse you, and He's going to return for you. But there's going to be a great harvest as we walk and follow after that leading. The sixth vision is the vision of that second harvest. And this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the downer uh, part of this vision. And, but the lesson is, is, just as there's a harvest of souls unto glory and salvation, there's also going to be a harvest of souls unto judgment and damnation. And if we do the job, our job with the fifth vision, man, I tell you what, we can greatly limit it, limit the scope and the impact of that sixth vision. So we need to really be mindful of that fifth vision. That's going to that with us, it's going to change and transform us, and really compel us to go out and preach the gospel that His house, not our house, may be filled. Seventh vision is the vision of the wrath of God. The vision of the wrath of God. And the lesson there is God is going to pour out wrath upon this earth. Certainly the sixth talking about a, a spiritual wrath. But uh, there's going to be a physical wrath as well that God's going to pour out upon the earth and all of his enemies will be consumed by the power of his might. And that's really going to see the fulfillment of that in the uh, battle of Armageddon. So what these, these seven visions do, folks, is really kind of summarize the totality of the gospel message and God's plan for the ages. And so if you want an outline of that, and again, those things are not necessarily in uh, chronological order. We, we said that when we opened up the 14th chapter. Uh, some of them definitely are. They kind of uh, work together, but not all of them are specifically in chronological order. Matter of fact, six and seven could probably be flip-flopped uh, right there. Uh, and uh, five could be uh, moved up, I'm sure. But... Uh, Really, they basically provide you an outline and a picture of really God's plan for the, uh, the ages and what the good news gospel message is really all about. Folks, if you can just get a clear revelation of these seven principles contained in those, what, 20 verses of Scripture right here in chapter 14, 
what you're going to do is you're going to have yourself a basis to build really upon uh, uh, everything else that entails your relationship and responsibility that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, if you're called to teach, to preach, if you can get the basis right there of those seven visions, what you're going to see is you're going to see that, that parlayed and just really yeah, uh, points you into places in Scripture that maybe you never even thought to look at uh, before. Let me, let me give you something real quick. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. Here's what it says. It says, as it is written. Don't you love it when it's written? He says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither have entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. You know, people like to stop there. Well, we just really don't know. We just really can't see. We just really can't understand. Why? Because, you know, the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither is entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Then they stop. But let's keep going. Somebody say, let's keep going. You know, people stop too much. I like to keep going. But God has revealed them. But what? But God has revealed them. But what? God has, the tape's not stuck, folks. I'm saying it again. But God has revealed them unto us. By His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. What are the deep things? They're the things that eye has not seen. They're the things that ear has not heard. They're the things that have neither entered into the heart of a man. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man uh, which is in him? Even so, the things of God no man, uh, no man knows but the Spirit of God. But now look at the next part. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is, which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now look what we get to do. We get to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Now here's the kicker though, folks. Here's what will disconnect you. Here's what will discombobulate you. Here's what will frustrate you. Here's what will make you scratch your head and wonder why you just don't get it. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, he that's what? Spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is not judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Now here's what I like. But we have the mind of Christ. Folks, I tell you what, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 is powerful as well. I want to give you, I want to back up just a little bit on that though. Uh, when it says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. You know, we think about natural, uh, and what does that mean? The, basically natural, and write this definition down, you, you can use this. This is, this is good stuff, and I hope it will help you understand really even the, the totality of the, these, uh, the study of the book of the Revelation and other things as well. But look what it says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Natural means those things which are governed by personal passions or desire. Those things which are governed by personal passions or desires. Self. Selfishness. Anything that would do to cater to the flesh to self. Now, you know, Melanie and I was driving down the road the other day and something came on the radio. I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been a billboard or something we saw. Talking about... Uh, you know, here we are in Daytona Beach, just, you know, 60 miles from all the theme parks in Orlando with, you know, the Magic Kingdom and all these things. And, and uh, but I know what it was. We were driving by and they were setting up this carnival right down the road with all these rides. And I said, you know, honey, I said, that all looks neat. But I said, I have zero desire to do any of that. I said, I'm sure if we win or something like that, we'd have a lot of fun. It'd be enjoyable. I said, but man, that is so low on my priority list. I said, what I enjoy, I, said, I like, you know, just sitting down for coffee with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and, I said, does that mean I'm getting old? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? I said, or going out and taking some lawn chairs and sitting at the, the beach and just being there with friends and family and the body of Christ and sharing the scripture and just encouraging one another, talking about soul winning or, or whatever it is. And, but, you know, I, there was a time that I couldn't say that. There was a time that, man, you know what? Give me Mickey Mouse or Daffy Duck or uh, give me, a, uh, what do you call it, the, the, all the, the roller coaster stuff. And again, folks, there's nothing inherently evil about that. But it's just interesting that your, your, your desire changes. You know, he tells us that if we serve him, we follow him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. And what people say is, great, if I just become a Christian, man, you know what, I've always wanted a Bentley. I've always wanted a BMW. I've always wanted these things. And, man, I'm going to get those things, and they don't get them. Why? Because they forgot that you've got to follow him. And he's not following after Bentleys and Cadillacs and, and, and uh, you know, all these big houses and things. He's following after righteousness. The way of following him is the way of the cross. And so when I begin to follow him, you know what? My desire changes. He'll give me the desires of my heart. 
But my desire changed. You know what I like? Once again, I like getting with my, my friends in the body of Christ to do that. And so what has God blessed me with? He's blessed me with a, a lot of great friends and people to hang out with and, 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 uh, and, and talk about Jesus with. You know, I, I'm never at a loss for somebody to call up or connect with or go to their house or vice versa to do it because that is the desire of my heart. And God has always fulfilled that. If He's got to bring them from all over the country to one place, you know, that, that's because I'm, I'm desiring to follow Him and that's the desire of my heart. Some people pray for other things. That's what I pray for. And so those are the things the natural man that can't receive the things of God because they're always in pursuit of the American dream or their personal uh, desires and things like that. But if we pursue after the things of God, He'll show us and give us a brand new desire. But look what it goes on to say. It says, uh, For their foolishness of them, the ones that is in the natural, neither can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. But He that is spiritual judges all things, yet He Himself is judged of no man. To judge, folks, is not to clunk, hit your gavel on the table and say, you're guilty, go to hell. That's not what judgment is. Judge here is to look deeply into a situation and to, to discern that which is there. To look deeply into a situation and to discern that which is there. And so, you know, you may be talking to somebody and they say, well, you can't judge me. Well, sure I can. If I'm walking in the Spirit and not by the natural man... I can judge you. I can look deeply into the situation and discern what is there. Folks, every time we're in a, in a situation, we are going to judge them. We're either going to judge it after the natural or we're going to judge it after the spiritual. But if we judge it after the spiritual, what we're doing is we are looking deep. Why can we do that? Why? Because the Scripture says that the, that the God reveals all things to us by His Spirit. For the, he searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And so if we're searching the deep things of God, we can discern the deep things of God and we can see beyond the natural. We can see beyond the, the, the outward appearance. We can see beyond the superficial and look at the heart of an individual. Here's an adage that I've repeated for years, folks. It's not so much what people say, but it's what people mean. But the only reason or the only way I should say that you'll know what people mean is if you are walking in the Spirit and not after the natural man. Otherwise, you'll get caught up and, and you'll, you'll say, Oh, but you said. Oh, but you said. Oh, but you said. Oh, I caught you in that one. Folks, sometimes we just need to shut up and not listen to the, the words coming off the vocal cords, but listen to the words of a person that's coming out of their spirit and see what God is saying. Then we can judge and look deeply into those, those things which are more real and not just of the carnal nature. Let me give you something else. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. Hebrews 4.12. This is all unveiling of Jesus, folks. This is the only way we can get any of this is through Christ Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the uh, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That word is merismos in the, in the Greek. And it means man is able to go into those places that nothing else can go into. And of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. In other words, it's able to judge. It's able to look into the deep thoughts, situations, and discern those things which is there. But, you know, it says, for the word of God is quick. What's, what is the word of God? Better yet, who is the word of God? Jesus is, we know it from John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so, we know that that, that word of God is dwelling where? Inside of us. Now, now folks, you, you've, you've said this, you've quoted this, you've heard me say it dozens of times, Psalm 119.11. David said that I have hidden your word in my heart so that what? So that I will not sin against you, so that I will not miss the mark, so that I will not continue to walk after the natural man or that which is governed by my passions. So, folks, listen. What, you know what David hid in his heart? He, what he hid in his heart was the vision for the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what David hid in his heart. And as long as he did this, basically David found himself buffered against sin. He had his own, and we talked about this yesterday, what vision is. It's a strategic glimpse into the mind of God. And so what David had, as long as he hid the Word, as long as he hid the, the promise or the vision of the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ in his hand, as long as he did that, he was buffered against sin. He would not sin against God. He had a strategic glimpse into the mind of God, and so he could go back, or what we're going back to, 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16, through 16, he could know the mind of God, he could see the plan of God, he could see the deep things, he could be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a man's heart. Why? Because he had the, the deep things and the understanding of those things in the Spirit. Now, this enabled him to look deep into situations and to see and to know exactly what was there. And if I can look deep into the situation, I'm not going to be tripped up by the situation. That's why First Samuel 13, 14 called David a man, what? 
after God's own heart. He was in pursuit, not after the natural man, but he was after he was in pursuit of the heart of God. And so he had the uh, the heart of God, or he had we call it the the mind of Christ right here in the sixteenth verse of First Corinthians chapter two. And this what basically what it enabled David to do was to exercise dominion over the flesh and to maintain vision in regards to the directive that God had placed before him. Now, I want you to look at another passage quickly. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Paul the Apostle speaking to the church at Galatia. He said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Now, I want you to put this phrase in there. Walk in the strategic glimpse into the mind of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why? Because that strategic glimpse comes from the Spirit that is revealed by the Spirit can't be understood by the natural man because it does not understand those things. It's spiritually discerned. And so when I uh, then I say to you, walk in the Spirit, walk in the vision, the strategic glimpse into the mind of God, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now let's, inter- let's uh, uh, put uh, insert natural man there with flesh. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not fulfill the lust of the natural man those things that are governed by personal pass, uh, passions or desires. Do you see it? For the flesh, for the natural man lusts against the spirit, the vision that God has given you. And the spirit, the vision against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you do. The flesh, think about it. Are you getting that, folks? And so if I've got vision, it's going to battle against my natural desires and passions. And so as, as long as I'm so caught up in what I want to do and who I want to be and what I want to achieve, what's going to happen? It is going to supersede and take the place of the vision that God has given me or that, that, that strategic glimpse into the mind of God. And so the kicker is that what it says, it says, then as a result, you cannot do the things that you should do. Now, let me throw something else at you real quick since I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you this morning in regards to vision. Is, is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not, do not, do not. Is the tape skipping? No, it's not skipping. I'm repeating that because this is what he says. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. Do not be conformed to the natural man. Do not be conformed by those things that govern your personal passions or desire, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have 1 Corinthians 2 16, we have the mind of Christ. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove out what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you might have, what? Uh, strategic glimpse into the mind of God. Folks, you see all that still ties together? Every bit of it is for that purpose, to bring us to that place of understanding what God is desiring for us to know. And so here's my question for you today as we're uh, finishing up this look at the 14th chapter and you look at chapter 15 is how do we lose or miss out on vision? Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have any vision. I don't have any understanding. Well, how do you, how do you miss out or lose your vision? The answer, just like David did. Here's a guy after God's own heart. Here was a guy that, that hid the word, hid the vision in his heart that he wouldn't sin, hid Jesus in his heart. That, that strategic glimpse hid it in his heart that he would not sin against him, but he missed it somehow. How did he miss it? Well, I'm fixing to show you. Second Samuel, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. How do you lose your vision? And it came to pass. Somebody say it came to pass. <laughs> and it came to pass after the year was expired in the time when kings go forth to battle. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight it. Write it down. It came to pass after the years expired and the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David waited at Jerusalem. David waited at Jerusalem. Now look at verse 2. And it came to pass. Folks, when it comes to pass that you're supposed to go to battle but you don't, something's going to happen. Here's the consequence. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Here's the reaping process of not being a part of that first point or that first vision. And it came to pass in the evening that David arose from off of his bed. Men were on the battlefield. He was in bed. David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, underline it, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look on. So what did David do? He missed out on the vision of verse 1 and walked into the natural 
of verse 2. So folks, what happens is, is when we cease to keep our eyes or our focus upon the vision, it's going to be deserted, diverted, I should say, to the natural things. David's just happened to have been a beautiful woman. Maybe yours is a career. Maybe yours is an offense. Maybe yours is some strong desire that you have and that's overwhelming you and it, it, it pushes you away from just your dependence and your, your trusting and your perseverance in God. Whatever it is that's going to keep you, that's, that, that's going to keep you from fulfilling the, the, the righteousness of God and being able to look deeply and discern those things and to have that strategic glimpse in the things of God, whatever it is can be categorized as that natural man working. Second Corinthians 10.3, we've talked about this too. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we, we, we have a physical body, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, when men are going out to war, I can't stay back and war in the flesh. I can't say, well, listen, I, I, you can have it your way, you can do it your way. I've got a war in conjunction with the Spirit. Folks, if your walk is in the flesh, write this down. If your walk is in the flesh, then your war becomes of the flesh. If your walk is in the flesh, if your walk is in strictly being governed by the, 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 the personal passions and the desires of self, then your warfare is going to be of the flesh. You know, I gave you uh, 2 Corinthians 10.3. You know 10.4, which is the weapons of our war warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What? Then I have vision. Then I have a means to be able to see more clearly under those things that God has strategically said to me. So, folks, listen. If, you, if you're missing out on vision, you've got to get back to that place. And the only way you can do that is to walk in the spirit of that revelation, allow that word to come into your life that's going to show you the deep things of God. Can you get there? Absolutely you can get there. Uh, he, he wouldn't just throw something out there, but your desires have got to be his desires. Again, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, who are diligent in pursuing after the spirit and not diligent about pursuing the natural man's desires. And so, that said and done, that kind of sums up chapter 14. Uh, if if any person could even touch on, you know, we, I've just scratched the surface of chapter 14, but because there's so much that's just, that's uh, pertinent to us right now in, in our lives, it's going to be obviously very uh, relevant to those that are there, experience those uh, things as they happen uh, prophetically in chapter 14. So we're going to look at chapter 15 today. And, and chapter 15 is really kind of a, um, a, a preparation for chapter 16. And, and what it's doing is really, there's eight verses here that are going to kind of introduce these, these seven vile or bold judgments that are going to be described in chapter 16. And they, they need, it needs a setup, because I tell you what, folks, 16, and you know, I've said this before, hell is about to break loose prophetically in that place. And so when we look at it, we, we need to say to ourselves, listen, God, I want to, I want to get the vision of, of 14 and get prepped for 15, because, man, there's people I don't want to see experience chapter 16. So let's let's look a little bit deeper into that. I'm going to read verse 1 to you. And here he is. He said, I saw another sign in heaven. And it was great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up with the wrath of God. And so, folks, now what we're about to see is, is John is about to get a vision of heaven that is literally, uh, for lack of a better term, it's just uh, magnificent. It's just incredible. It is uh, uh, shock and awe. And so John is about to see something that, that really, uh, in regards to what he's seen up to this point, it's just incredible to him. It's just uh, challenging. It is mesmerizing. All these things. He's about to see something. And, you know, these, and it says he saw this, this sign that's great, great and marvelous. And he saw these, these seven angels. So you have these seven angels that are going to come. And basically their duty is to bring the fulfillment and the, the completion of the, 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 the final wrath of God upon rebellious mankind. And so he's saying, I saw those that are getting ready. And so, you know, if you've ever seen like the footage of a, like a prize fight, and they show the footage from the uh, maybe from the locker room before. And what do you have? You, you have that boxer back there, and boy, he's got his hands taped, he's got his gloves on, he's shadow boxing, he's preparing, and he's got that that focused look in his eyes. Now, take that. That's just a man getting ready to to punch another man, just some other pugilist. But right, what we have here in verse one is we have these seven angels that are carrying with them these seven vials, these seven bowls that, that carry the wrath of God. And, and I want to th put that down right there for a second, what they carry, because I want to show you something that's so interesting to me in relationship to what we've looked at previously in regards to those seven bowls. And it says in verse 2, and it says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now this is in heaven. And then when it had gotten the victory of the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. 
And so, folks, we talked about this in, in chapter 4 and in chapter 6, that this, this uh, sea of glass speaks of a peace. It speaks of a, 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 a tranquil situation. It speaks of just the, the presence of God that is devoid of all these calamitous things that are happening on planet Earth. And so you see there that in his peace, that's the peace that passes understanding. Why does it pass understanding? Because with all the calamity that's happening in creation, what is it in heaven, folks? There's not even a ripple upon the water. Do I need to say that again? Folks, let me, let me apply that to you personally this morning. You know what? You may be going through difficult times. You may be uh, uh, battling things in the natural. But folks, if you'll grab a hold of the Spirit, there's not even a ripple in the water. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so if you're wor- worried or concerned about a situation or whatever else, if you're seeing things through that strategic glimpse into the mind of God, there's not a ripple in the water. If, if you've got a spouse that's not serving Jesus and you're praying and you're believing God in faith, folks, there's not a ripple in the water. If you've got a, chill, a child that's away from God and you're believing in faith for God to, to save them, there's not a ripple in the water. If you're struggling financially or you're saying, well, this global economy and all these things are, are happening, folks, there's not a ripple in the water. And so the same David who said, listen, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaking or God's seed begging for bread. Why can he say that? Because David said, I've hidden the vision in my heart that I won't send, I won't miss the mark. Missing the mark also has to do with stress and doubt and fear and unbelief and all those things. Folks, when we're standing with Him, we're seated with Him in heavenly places, there is not a ripple in the water. And so, stand upon that, and we just pray for this young man that got on here. He's just, he's just lost, and he'll be gone here in just a second anyway. And so, it says that they saw there, they were standing, and there's a... a, a I saw the, the sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And so, you know, it's calm and it's stable, is really what it says. And so, folks, if, if I'm standing with Christ, it's going to be typified by stability. And I want to give you just a, a couple of things. Uh, what it shows right here in verse 2. Number one, it shows the church at rest. Folks, we're in a battle right now. We are. We're in a battle, but we're in a battle that we've been guaranteed victory. That we've been made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You'll find that in Romans chapter 8. We've been given the victory. That this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so what you see in verse 2 is you see the church, those that have been redeemed at rest. And the second thing what you see is God's living word uh, uh, being made manifest. Go back, and I always like to point people towards the, the, the temple, especially that of, uh, of Solomon. And Solomon's temple contained a sea of glass. It was built within there. And so what it did is then, as a type, it depicted the Word of God as that means of sanctification. That's the, the, the washing and the regeneration, the renewing of our minds through what? Of the Word of God. So in Solomon's physical temple, which was a type or a shadow of things to come, there was this sea of glass. There was this sea of tranquility. There was this place of, of rest that, that talked about the sanctification that comes through, through the Word. And so water, once again, that washing... We talked about it with the, with the temple and the tabernacle, that, 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 that brass laver. They looked through the water. They saw the reflection. Folks, there's not a ripple when we're walking in Christ Jesus. And so, but, but notice, here's what's interesting, though. It's a sea of glass that's mixed with fire. Mixed with fire. Folks, the, the picture of this for us is just incredible. And really what it shows is, is, is we, as part of Christ, that, that we've been able to overcome the test of fire. And, and you think about First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 and 7, that, uh, that he says, "...the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with the fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." Folks, listen, you may be going through the fire right now, but you get to go through it. We talked about the other day, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they they told uh, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we may go through the fire, we may get tossed into it, but we're going to come out the other side. He's he's going to protect us. We're not going to have no problem with that. Folks, listen, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that comes upon you. Folks, that that fire just talks about the trial. And and what do you see? You see these saints, you see the church at rest, standing in the midst of the Word, having endured the fiery trial. So the picture of it is just incredible for us. And so uh, we, we see that regardless of what we go through, there's not a ripple in the water, but there's power, there's tranquility, there's perseverance when we stand with Him. And so, you know, uh, when we, we, we look at this, we think to ourselves that those that are not going to be there are going to be those that are suffering the, 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 the torment. They're going to be suffering the, the calamity. They're going to be those that have, uh, have, have taken the mark of the beast. And so... Heaven gets the picture of tranquility, of the, the presence of God, the fire of God, the cleansing of God. But the world is about to see the, the wrath of God. And, you know, uh, 
They stand upon the word of, uh, on the sea of glass because that is what each and every one of us have the opportunity to stand on right now. That's where your vision is going to come from. Verse 3, move on to that. And it says, And they sing the song of Moses. Boy, I think in the last couple of chapters, there's been a lot of singing going on, hasn't there? And, and for, for good reason. We, we talked about it in 14 with that song of the testimony. But look at this. It says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. In verse 4, I'm going to read that. Who shall not fear you, O God, and glorify your name? For you are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are made manifest. And so, folks, listen. Once again, this group is a group that you're seeing here that was saved out of the tribulation. And they're singing the song of Moses. Anybody have any idea what that means? And I could go back, and I'm not going to uh, go back all the way to it and read it, but you know, we can go back to Exodus chapter 14 when they sung this song. And so back in Exodus 14, you know, the people were being uh, pursued. The Pharaoh was trying to destroy them. And uh, the, the, the Israelites, all of a sudden, they, they, they came to the, the banks of, of the Red Sea. And what happened? God parted the waters. God did something supernatural that, that transcended the understanding of the natural man. He parted the waters, and uh, the, they were uh, able to go across on dry land. But think about what it did to the adversary, what it did to Pharaoh's armies. They were consumed by it. So they sung the song of that. And so the army that pursued were actually enveloped. They were actually consumed through their own vengeance and through their own wrath. Folks, that's what's happening right there as well. You know... Uh, those that are in pursuit of the tribulation saints, those that are in pursuit of destructing, they're going to become a snare to their own selves. They're, they're uh, focusing on the world, the desires of the natural man. What they've done is they've set them up for just a calamitous type of outpouring, just like it was sung right there in the Song of Moses. And so we saw as the, the military uh, uh, people followed that the waters closed upon them and they died. And so here's the thing. The, the Jews, the, the, the Israelites at that point, they, what they realized is they, re, they realized that, man, they had a divine protection from God. And so out of that, once again, here's another testimony. They began to sing a song. They, they came out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, even a type of the Antichrist. And they began to worship God. They began to give glory unto Him. They began to praise and, and, and glorify His name. And, you know, their song was the, the song we used to sing years ago in church, The Horse and the Rider, He is Thrown into the Sea. And go, go into Exodus 15 and 1. You know, I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And so that was their song. And so, you know, now here we got, centuries later, obviously, the, the redeemed from this situation are going to be brought to the place of, 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 of challenge, the place of great tribulation, and they're going to begin to sing the song of Moses. Now, uh, is it the exact same words, horse and rider thrown into the sea? No, it's a different horse. It's a different rider, a different time. But what they're going to do is they're going to begin to rejoice just like they did then. They're going to say, listen, you're in pursuit of us. We didn't even have trained warriors, but what we had, you come at us with a spear and a sword. But like David said, I come to you in the name of our Lord. I come to you based upon and founded upon vision. And so it, it really uh, it shows the, the attributes. Now look at this. It says, who shall for, uh, fear thee? In verse 4, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you are holy, all nations shall come and worship before you, for all judgments are made manifest. It says what? Who will fear you? All nations are going to come and worship before you. You know, uh, I guess it was a year ago, maybe, we were on the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And man, the Lord just began to speak something to me, specifically in, in regards to uh, uh, what to tell people. And it was real simple, and it was, you know what? Every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he had told me to tell them, listen, you're either going to bow to me in, in repentance unto salvation, or you're going to bow to me in rebellion unto judgment. Which one's it going to be? And so what happened is, and you know, that sounds so simple and doesn't may not sound so very profound, but when God tells you to say something, you just obey to it, it, it becomes like the song of the redeemed. It comes like the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And I remember a young lady coming there, and she's at the corner of Bourbon Street and St. Pete, and I stopped her and I said, hi, and I grabbed hold of her hand and I shared that with her. And the fear of the Lord came upon this woman. And that's exactly what she said. She said, I'm afraid. And she was a young woman, probably in her early 20s. And you could just see, she suddenly, she was aware of her surroundings. 
She was a, a young woman who had, who had been brought up in a, in a Christian family that had strayed from the fold. She had, she had d- d- descended really into the, the, the pit of this place and was with a friend there. But as soon as I shared with her just that word, the fear of the Lord came upon her and she saw just how demonic her environment was. Beforehand, folks, she had a veil across her eyes. She couldn't see exactly what was happening. But when I shared that word, it was like, boom, her eyes opened up and she saw this demonic thing. Why? Because beforehand, because she was walking apart from the revelation of the word, but as soon as I brought the word, as soon as I brought a strategic glimpse under the mind of Christ in the situation, boom, she was undone. She was opened up. She was exposed. She ended up giving her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And her friend, who someone else was witnessing to, got saved as well. And both of them ended up leaving uh, the party that night not to, not to return because they gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you're seeing is here that time is coming that they're going to fear the Lord. And they're either going to fear Him in rebellion towards judgment. They're going to fear Him in, a, in repentance and righteousness uh, towards salvation. And, and the key is exactly what's going to happen. And so I want to show you something else. You see the attributes of the king right here during the millennium. And so he's going to be, the world is going to fear him. And this is talking specifically about that, that reign. They're going to fear him. They're going to glorify him. Uh, why? Because that's all they're going to have to do. They're going to see just his glory. So there's not going to be someone else vying for that. So they're going to pay their respects. They're going to give their, their offerings. They're going to pay their, their homage to him. Why? Because they know that they're uh, subjected to his judgments if they do not. Folks, what's interesting about this is this is really kind of an agreement with what uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says. Let me read something to you. And it says, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it and many shall go and say, Come ye and let us go into that mountain of the Lord to the house of God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Isaiah chapter 2, 2 and 3 is kind of a foreshadowing of of right here in uh, Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. So you can write those tie-ins to it. Zechariah uh, chapter 14, 16 and 17 ties in as well. Listen to this. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, what are we talking about right there, even shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even unto him shall look upon him, there shall be no rain. And so that's a foreshadowing, folks, verses... uh, uh, 3 and 4, and there in Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, and Zechariah 14, 16, 17. Make yourself a note. That is a foreshadowing of the thousand-year millennial reign. Foreshadowing of the thousand-year millennial reign. That's important. Why? Because we're about to see in chapter 16 the unfolding of events that are going to lead up to that. Then verse 5, he says, And after this I looked. Somebody say, After this I looked. And behold, the tabernacle, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Folks, here's what's so powerful. We look at this, the ark of the testimony. Basically, when we look at the, the, the say, Solomon's temple or even the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, it, the, the, the ark of the testimony, which we've talked about, that contained the, the tablets of the law, contained uh, the golden bowl of manna and Aaron's rod that buds, right there in the the, the, the the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it, it was housed in the temple or the tabernacle in the place called the Holy of Holies. Under Moses, folks, though, it was concealed from the eyes of the people. The only person that could go in was the high priest just one time a year on the Day of Atonement. He would have come and he would offer blood upon the altar for his own sins first and he would go back in and offer atonement for the people. So, but that day right there is finally over. And so we, we looked at it spiritually when Jesus died. It says that the veil in the temple, when that earthquake happened, was torn from top to bottom, a foreshadowing of this moment in time right here in verse 5, when everything's going to be opened up, where the glory of the Lord is going to be fulfilled, it's going to be revealed, it's going to be made manifested. And so that day's over. Now everybody's going to be able to view the workings because basically now they're going to have access to his abiding place. Folks, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Now, we sometimes look at that as a, as a downside. Yeah, it's a fearful thing if his hands are coming with the, the presses of wrath, but also we've been inscribed upon his hands. So it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, even when you're living right and doing right. Why? Because the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when I have the fear of the Lord, it's a, that dread of I don't want to say, do, act, and be any way that would not be pleasing unto him. And so uh, when we fall into the hands, we're seeing, behold, the temple of the tabernacle, the testimony was open. But I want to give you something here to think about. When, when, when the, these uh, angels came back, go to verse 1 just a second. And I told you to remember this. It said, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Right? And so these angels, folks, are about to bring forth the final seven bowls or the seven vials. Now, I want you to remember that because think about something just for a second. We'll get into the description of them just a little bit more in just a second. When the high priest went in to this place that's now wide open, you know what he took with him? He actually didn't. What he took with him was a bowl of blood. Okay? And so to get into the temple, into the holy place, you had to take a bowl. Now think about what was in that bowl. That bowl contained blood. It was a bowl. It was a vial. Now where did that blood come from? That blood came from a violent act that was committed upon the sacrifice that was a foreshadowing, once again, of Jesus Christ. That, that brazen altar was a type of the cross. So, folks, here's the deal. When Jesus died upon the cross, what happened? He offered up his own blood as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he went into the Holy of Holies, and that's when he made intercession for us. He stood in the gap. He, he became that high priest that, that went into the temple of God and, and, and covered the mercy seat with his own blood. Now, what's going to happen is because when mercy went in, mercy rejected, it's going to return forth sevenfold in wrath. Do I need to say that again? It went forth in mercy, one sacrifice, but mercy rejected is going to bring forth seven times more wrath. Now, we look at the Word of God many times. It talks about, you know what, if you go in and you clean out the house, if you go in and sweep it out, uh, but the, 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 in those spirits return, they'll return sevenfold. You know, people always try to liken that to, well, you know, you, got, you cast the devil out of somebody, it's going to turn sevenfold. Really, it, that's, once again, it's a foreshadowing of what you're seeing right here. If, if, the, if God's mercy comes upon us and we don't receive it, what's going to happen is when judgment comes back, it's going to come back seven times worse. And so the first bowl that came to us, the, the first deliverance that came was in the form of the blood of Jesus that desires to cry out not guilty to anyone that would receive his mercy. But when that vial comes back, folks, it's going to come back in judgment upon the world. And so we talked about this so many times, what grace is. Grace is the divine influence of God upon the heart. It is the visitation of the first bowl is really what it is. The, the, the bowl that went into the, to the tabernacle. And so it's going to reflect something. Just like the water in the brass laver ref, reflects the, the sin of a person, the, the blood in the bowl is going to reflect the righteousness of Christ if it's received by faith. Otherwise, it's going to return to you sevenfold in judgment. You, you, see that, you see that picture that's presented right here. And so he said, I, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle, the testimony of heaven, was open. And so you see these coming out, and that's what I'm talking about, how breathtaking it is, how incredible this is, how marvelous it is. He's seeing these things that are coming out. And, and look at the description. And he, behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the, uh, the testimony. And verse 6 says, and the, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having seven pl uh, plagues, those bowls, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded about with golden girdles. And so these messengers are coming out like clothed like the priests of the Old Covenant was. But they're not coming as messengers of righteousness. That's our job. But they're coming as messengers of judgment upon the world of that, that rejected the blood. And so Jesus came with it. Who is that, 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 that propitiation for our sin? But now when it's coming back, it's not coming in the hands of the Redeemer. It's coming in the hands of messengers that are going to bring judgment upon People. In verse 7 it says, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. There it is. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Now look at this. And from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Folks, listen. What we see here is during that last three and a half years, that which had previously been opened is now going to be closed. 
That last three and a half years is going to be three and a half years of all hell breaking loose. It is going to be the, 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 the wine being poured out without, without mixture. It's going to be the wrath of God poured upon a world. The world had the benefit of the testimony of the 144,000. They had the, 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 the opportunity of the, the testimony of the two witnesses. Now what's going to be happening is that blood that, that used to cry out for the redemption now is going to cry out for their judgment. And the smoke... Once again, there's that smoke, that cloud is going to cover. And it's going to cloud over. There's going to be a haze coming now. And that restraining element that, that, that uh, kept back the judgment is now going to be opened up. And we're going to see the wrath of God poured out in chapter 16. Amen. So, incredible stuff. Th- those eight verses, folks, really, I hope you see just how powerful they are. But they're going to really set us up for chapter 16, which we're going to dive into tomorrow. Folks, we are totally, totally out of time today. But... Uh, uh, don't forget, keep your prayer requests coming to pray at BigGrace.com. If you got questions, send them to Raven at BigGrace.com. Love to, to, to at least take a shot at answering your questions. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. And that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he reveals himself through his precious Holy Spirit. Love you today. And I've got better, one bit of advice for you, like I've had hundreds of times. Get into God's Word. And God's Word will get into you.